It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. One for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 701 of Locked on Raptors for Monday, April the 13th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows covering all the teams in the big four sports that you could possibly care about, plus the big Power Five conferences in the NCAA. And we've got a lot of great stuff. Right now, we're still in the midst of doing chats about the best seasons in franchise history across the network so lots of uh, interesting deep dives into different eras of different sports so make sure if there's a team you're interested in go and check them out across the network subscribe to rate and reviews rate and review that is all the shows that you want to support and it's very much appreciated and today's show is a little bit of a connection to the greatest seasons in franchise history thing because without the guy we're going to talk about today who the guest that we have on today's show wrote about last week for The Athletic, the Raptors maybe don't have their best season in franchise history last season. That man is Ben Uzo, and our guest today is Blake Murphy. Blake, what's up, man? Hey, how are you? Ah, you know, hanging in, uh, as everyone is, I'm sure. You wrote a wonderful piece for The Athletic last week about Ben Uzo and his triple-double in what was his final NBA game at the end of the 2011-12 lockout-shortened season, a 98-67 win for the Raptors that uh, had huge ramifications for the draft lottery. We've talked about it on this show. It's probably the basketball reference page that I've gone to the most just to ogle at because it's so absurd. Uh, what was your sort of impetus for writing about Ben so obviously we're kind yeah. of in remember some guys mode but um what was your uh, the reasoning for going in and talking to ben yeah i actually so when the season started and eric Crean, my counterpart at the athletic and i were kind of coming up with 
ideas for the for the season you know you you want to come up with some that are kind of side ideas you can work on as the season goes and maybe something you can drop during you know right right as quarantine right as the the COVID-19 thing was happening the Raptors had four days off in a row and you look at a part of the schedule like that and it's like oh maybe that would be a good place to drop you know something not day-to-day game-to-game related the Ben Uzo game is something I've always wanted to write about Uh, initially I thought of it as um, I wanted to do an oral history on it, similar to what I did for Daniel Marshall's 12 three-pointer game. Uh, the issue with right. that being, obviously, once everyone went into quarantine, you're getting a Dwayne Casey is going to be tough. Uh, getting a James Johnson and Ed Davis, like current guys, are probably going to be tough. Uh, Solomon Alabi does not respond to his DMs on social media. <laughs> so you run into uh, you run into some things like that. So uh, initially, I was going to write it just as a kind of just from the what if perspective and i'm sure we're going to talk about all the the kind of butterfly effect there uh but then like i saw that ben is semi-active on social media so i just shot him a dm and he was very gracious with his time um really good dude which was was nice to find out and i had like i had uh crossed paths with him very very briefly when uh nigeria was in toronto to play those tune-up games uh the other year right and the idea actually came to me then. I was like, oh, yeah, Ben Uzo exists. Like, he's not like some 45-year-old who's out of the league now and isn't accessible. Like, he's around and, and he's a guy still uh, who you might be able to talk to. So I've always kind of had it in the back of my head as something I wanted to do. Uh, it kind of means something to me personally, too, because that was the last game I attended as, like, a season ticket holder and a fan. Uh, right after that, right. I left to go back to school to try to do journalism and, and kind of head down this path. So um, it meant uh, that game's always stood out to me for myriad reasons uh so yeah it was fun to to get to finally do that and luckily ben was open to you know sharing his time and his story and stuff again go read the piece at the athletic it's wonderful the the conversation with ben so we'll we'll get into all this sort of butterfly effect stuff and how it affects the course of raptors history over the next decade in a sec but when you're talking to ben did you bring up the fact that this game had such a lasting impact on sort of the direction of the team? Did he care at all? Like, what was the sort of reaction there? No, I didn't, you know, I wasn't like, hey, did you know that, you know, this cost them <laughs> Damian Lillard in those kind of words? Um, but well, you like, could have done he, it in kind words, like it got the Raptors Terrence yeah. Ross, which is a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, I, I don't think, you know, he didn't seem... I didn't ask him specifically, like, do you know this is the draft butterfly effect and, like, it led to Kyle Lowry and stuff. But he was pretty aware that, like, the team was not trying to win at this point in time. And it was kind of a an inflection point for the franchise as a whole. Um, and then, like, to him, it's, like, like, that's the pinnacle of his pro career other than playing in the Olympics. So he obviously has you know only right. positive associations with it really uh, but no i don't we didn't get too deep into well you know if you could have sunk the raptors by 31 more points in that game maybe the entire history of the franchise is different <laughs> that was my also, that's my one thing with this game sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say also like he he just he also didn't play that well like he had a triple yeah. double but he also <laughs> shot six for 19 for 12 points yeah. it's like like he uh you know, no one, no one shot well. That game is one of the worst NBA games that's ever been played. It's really, really, it would have been really difficult, I think, to find a team and a starting point guard bad enough to sink the Raptors against this Nets roster of Jordan Williams, yeah. Marshawn Brooks, Gerald Green, Sunday Gaines, and Deshaun Stevenson in the starting lineup yeah. with Johan Petro, Armand Johnson, and Anthony Morrow off the bench. Like, that is... Yeah. To give an idea Boy. of like wh- who these guys were and where they all were in their careers at that time, Ed Davis was <laughs> the best player in that game by an order of magnitude. 
<laughs> Alan Anderson would certainly disagree with you because Alan Anderson thinks Alan Anderson is great. Alan Anderson was also like at the end of that, he had signed a 10 day that year and was fighting for his next job and was like, by the end of that year, chucking. And he was good, yeah. but he was chucking. My favorite piece of trivia from this game is that Gary Forbes led the team in shots taken, which I'm sure also stands as a highlight for Gary Forbes in his career. I look forward to the the chat with him about this game. I'm assuming you're doing like a series of a chat with Gary Forbes and also Solomon Alabi at some point. Yeah, I'm going to talk to all four guys who <laughs> never played an NBA game after this. Of the se- of the seven rotation guys the Raptors played, four never played another NBA minute. McGlure retired, and then Uzo, Forbes, and Alabi never played in the NBA again. Incredible stuff. What a game. Uh, so, Ben Uzo, for me, so this was sort of during my phase where I kind of fell out of love with the team for a little bit while I was at school in Ottawa, and it wasn't super accessible, and they were also really, really bad. And I kind of, my, my fandom lapsed a little bit for a couple years there. But I feel like everyone has those, like, random-ass point guards or just other position players. But point guards in particular, it feels to me, like, just guys you latched onto who never were going to mean anything. Like, Omar Cook is that guy for me. Like, it was like the oh, 04 wow. 05 season. He had, like, 19 points in the last game of the year. And I was like, shit, Omar Cook, that's my guy. He's definitely back next season. Backup point guard at least, maybe starter. And then, no, obviously that never happened. Um, but, th- like, I-, I feel like we all have those kind of guys. Was Ben Uzo sort of that guy for you? Or are there earlier guys, those sort of journeyman dudes who, you know, whether they were 10 days or just sort of off the scrap heap guys? guys that you connected with no it wasn't Uzo for me because like as much as I love that game and that moment in history like he wasn't good and (laughs) that that pains me to say a little bit like he had you know he he had had like a really good run in the G League and like shown some flashes as an undrafted rookie the year before but like his career since then kind of tells the story he's just bounced around every country and played in like a handful of the leagues that real GM doesn't even have stats for like he played in Nigeria he played in uh, the Dominican, I think. Um, he's kind of, you know, the French second league, I think. Um, so he's bounced around a little bit. Uh, not that this guy is any better, but the guy who was like that for me was the following season. Uh, Dominic Maguire was my dude. <laughs> Dominic Maguire is like, he's a six nine like, point forward who, like, makes Patrick McCaw look like a selfish shooter. Yeah. It was great. He, he had... I- Fifteen game run where just the complete aversion to shooting was amazing. I have a card, so I got like this pack of Raptors cards in like my stocking at Christmas. Either this, yeah, it was this year. Uh, and there's like the usual. You got like Kawhi and Demar and Kyle and like Jose's in there. I'm pretty sure. And there's this one card. It's one of those team shots, and it's of Julian Wright, Dominic McGuire, and I think Aaron Gray and like some other guy who's kind of half cut off. And I don't know why this exists, but I'm glad I have it. It's like the I've got to be one of the only pieces of Dominic McGuire memorabilia that exists. And uh, I'm glad that you uh, you had that connection to him. Yeah. He, what's he doing now? <laughs> I don't know. Um, he would be, what, 34 now? So maybe not even active. But the craziest thing about McGuire to me was that, like, they signed him in the offseason. He was 27 at the time. And they played him in 15 of the team's first 16 games and then cut him. (laughs) Like, he was playing every game. And so, I don't know. I obviously wasn't covering the team at that point. Like, I have to think something happened. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, that could be the case, but also it's the Colangelo era, and nothing ever made any sense, so maybe not? Yeah, I just... Oh, oh, you know what it was? I wanted... The the Rudy Gay acquisition, did they maybe have to clear a roster spot? I think it was too early for that, because the Gay trade was, like, after the new year, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. January 30th. No, they waived... They waived Dominic McGuire to sign Mikhail Petrus. Well, of course, you have to do that when you have the opportunity. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a talk, uh, talk about a guy who was not my guy. Yeah, I don't think he was a single person's guy outside of, I guess, Colangelo and maybe at Mid- one point Don Nelson. <laughs> a month into the season, signing a thirty-year-old veteran and then starting him for sixteen games is uh, quite a look. I don't even know to like. If, if you should attribute that to Colangelo or just like, I, I mean, I guess it entirely was Colangelo, just like the state of disrepair the roster was in and like just throwing stuff at the wall to see if it would work. I guess that's all Colangelo created, but also like, like in, God. during a rebuilding, during a semi rebuilding time, giving Dwayne Casey a 30 year old veteran that he could start is just, it's, <laughs> that's enabling. So even if it's not directly Colangelo's fault, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh wow! Dominic McGuire was most recently playing for Real Esteli in the uh, uh, Basketball Africa League. Incredible. Wait, I, no, that's I mean, not it. That can't be. No, no that's that hadn't no, that's started be yet. Spain, Why did it right? say that? Uh, BCL AM. Oh, Mexico. Oh, okay. I, Sorry, yeah. when I clicked on it, the thing that came up on Real GM <laughs> was uh, Basketball Africa League, but that's like a weirdly embedded headline on the. Uh, Basketball Champions League Americas page. I was really hoping that this roster for Real Esteli was going to have some other guys that we could remember, but I don't know any of these names. So we're going to move on from Dominic McGuire talk. Also, get into some. It's sorry, it's uh, it's Nicaragua too, not uh, not Mexico. Right on. Uh, So we're going to get into some of the butterfly effect stuff of the Ben Uzo game in just a second. But first, I want to tell people about Postmates. You're stuck inside right now. You can't go anywhere. So use Postmates. It's the best way to get things delivered to you. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant you can think of right to your door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery delivery and whatever you can think of delivery as well. Convenience stores, clothing stores. I mean, anything that's open right now is an essential service. You name it and Postmates can deliver it. So no more trips to the store when you're trying to social distance. No more late night fast food runs after social distancing ends you don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore just download postmates on ios or android and find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour for a limited time postmates is giving our listeners 100 of free delivery for your first seven days to start your free deliveries download the app and use code locked on nba that's locked on nba for 100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the postmates app anything you need anytime you need it Post made it. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in LA, and made Charles Barkley the first black president? 
Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to alternate routes early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, Blake, let's dive into some of the uh, the, the ramifications, the the ripple effects of the Ben Uzo triple double game. The main one is the draft lottery stuff, right? So they go into this game. They're tied with the Nets in the standings, and the Warriors as well are in that mix. And basically how it goes, if the Raptors win the game, they will end up in a coin flip situation with the Kings for the five and six picks, or the five and six slots in the lottery. And then the that would slide the Blazers, who had the pick via the Nets, and the Warriors down to seven and eight in the lottery odds. Instead, the Raptors win the game, and they stay at number eight and get the eighth highest lottery odds. They stay at eight in the draft. They take Terrence Ross. Damian Lillard goes six to the Blazers uh, by way of, I think, the Jared Wallace trade. Is that the one? Is that, is that how that trip pick got yep. transferred there? Yeah. Yeah, it was top three um, protected. Right. And then the Warriors take Harrison Barnes at seven. So lots of questions here for you, Blake, and sort of what you think the Raptors would have done. I guess, yeah, let's let's just start with that. Do the Raptors, if they get the sixth pick, let's say, to take Damian Lillard, do you think? We obviously don't know. I don't think we'd ever get that intel from Brian Colangelo, but do you think that is where they would have gone? I don't necessarily think they would have, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah, first of all, this is like an epic tanking year, by the way, because it's the lockout and everything's weird. Like there were mm-hmm. the Bobcats. This was the year the Bobcats went seven and fifty nine, and then there were <laughs> nine teams separated by only six games. So like every loss was a big swing. Um, even like in more to the Raptors' point, there were seven teams separated by three games, two through eight. So the Raptors ending up with the eighth pick for going 23 and 43, but also being only three games out of the number two lottery odds is just like the most Colangelo era. You were so close <laughs> to having the right idea and the execution was just a little off. Uh, it's it's like the Bargnani of seasons. Right idea, just <laughs> poor, poor execution. Um, so yeah, I don't think, to me, looking back at who was available there, like Drummond went nine. And I don't think that they would have gone Drummond just because they had JV coming over and they had used the number five pick on him before that. Um, And really, that would make the pick between Ross, Barnes, and Lillard because, um, you know, Barnes and Drummond were kind of, if you look back at ESPN's draft board and and NBA draft.net and things like that, it was Drummond and Barnes next. And Lillard was like mid to late lottery for some people. I know some people, you know, some teams don't like the overaged guys. Um, or the smaller school guys, and Lillard had those knocks against them. To me, Harrison Barnes seems like an extremely Colangelo prospect. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, hey, here's a big, small forward who, like, isn't actually good yet, but he has the tools and the physical stuff that you would want from a guy. Uh, I I think he goes Barnes. Yeah, it's like high-pedigree Joey Graham. Like, it's like yeah. almost trying to make amends for the Joey Graham pick. And, uh, yeah, I think it would have yeah. been Barnes, too. And I guess, I mean, if it's Barnes, like you lay out in the piece, if it is Barnes, it maybe isn't quite as 
sort of a, a franchise altering thing because they you know they still have DeRozan. They probably don't make the gay trade, which would have probably lined up better with the rebuild that uh, Colangelo for one year seemed like he might want to flirt with, and then decided, nope, we're gonna go get Rudy Gay instead. Um, and so like they probably just opt for stasis and they develop DeRozan and Barnes as a two three, and maybe they still trade for Kyle Lowry, which if you have a Lowry. DeRozan Barnes one two three. That's not terrible, I guess. It's like extremely raw and unfinished. Here's the issue. Here's Barnes, the issue there yeah. though, is if yeah. you don't trade for Gay, you still have Jose on the roster, and Jose eventually beats Kyle for the starting job <laughs> for good, and then unhappy Kyle forces his way elsewhere. That's true. Uh, undeniably true. I think. Um, yeah. So that that's a good point. Um, like, so if they take Barnes. What is your sort of estimation of how the next few years go? I think I sort of laid out a little bit of the next season, but like uh, my my main question with all of this is does Ben Uzo deserve a title ring? Yeah, I think so because I think <laughs> I think what going Barnes or Lillard does is probably because if we work under the assumption that the Lillard trade the a Lillard pick means no Lowry trade and a Barnes pick makes no gay trade I think Colangelo is maybe better able to sell that they're building to something without pushing assets into the middle of the table like that. Um, so if they mm-hmm. only make one of those deals instead of both, and then obviously the Rudy Gay trade like failed so obviously and so quickly that that was probably the final you know death knell for Colangelo. The big what if to the big immediate you know secondary what if is like does Colangelo stay on the job longer? And then it's like, then you're squinting and it's like, okay, Colangelo put the main pieces in place initially. Like he put the foundational pieces in place with Kyle, DeMar, JV, and Dwayne. But like, if he's given another year or two, is Masai still available? Does Colangelo get the rope to continue building? And then eventually, you know, chase the next shiny small forward object uh, at another (laughs) point in time. Um, so that's the big one is like if you don't get Ujiri and that by extension you don't get you know Dan Tolzman and Bobby Webster and Teresa Rash and maybe the 905 don't come as quickly you you start pretty quickly eroding what became the foundation of the championship team Uh, so yes I think from that perspective Ben Uzo deserves one there's also like I, I saw a couple people respond to my article with the secondary what if of well if they draft Lillard and don't trade for Lowry do they draft Giannis because then they still have their pick but the Giannis thing is a big Maasai thing we know Maasai tried really actively to get a pick to land Giannis and he was high on Giannis we don't know what Colangelo would have done there's also the possibility the Raptors are worse or better and aren't really in Giannis range anyway but we don't know for sure that Colangelo goes Giannis Um, you know there's also the what if that we end up with the Beersman Steven Adams and you know, my my <laughs> professional career is a lot different, but <laughs> I think. But the, yeah, there's a, there's a lot yeah. of trickle downs from there, man. Yeah, I mean, the the longer Colangelo's on the job, the more he gets the chance to trade away Kyle before things get good. Um, the uh, like the Giannis thing, yeah. I mean, Dame was pretty good out of the gate, right? Like as a rookie, yeah. So maybe that puts them in a position where they they are they're not quite able to draft him. Um, but they probably still. I mean, maybe, but Dame about. Dame was good. At, Dame was good out of the gate, but like, you're also talking yeah. Dame then over Kyle Lowry. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know that Dame, like in actual wins the difference swings that much. Yeah. So with the Dame thing, I mean, I, I think we're gonna both be in agreement on this that I, I think 
Kyle is necessary for the Raptors to win the title, especially within the context of the team last season where he was sort of the orchestrator of everything and his defense is obviously well beyond where Lillard is and Dame's had his own struggles in the playoffs, perhaps even more so if you look at just like the overall raw numbers since Kyle has kind of elevated from that Dame, DeMar, Kyle range of shooters in the postseason over the last couple years here. And so, like, you don't think... But just based on sort of the way I've read it and the way I, I think you understand Kyle Lowry's impact, you don't think things go to the point where the Raptors are in like title contention if they tra- if they draft Dame and never trade for Kyle, right? No, I think look, I'm I'm very fond of Damian Lillard. He's obviously a very very good scorer, one of the deadliest pick and roll operators, especially high on the floor. Um, and you know, from a leadership culture perspective, he fits exactly with like what Dwayne and Demar were trying to build. Uh, I love the idea of like Dame and Demar as this California backcourt that also mm. wrap together and <laughs> things like that, and like fit from a, a culture and personality perspective. Um, but the issue is, is like as good as Dame's been, and Dame has Dame has had some really good years. You know, there's just no chance that a Dame Demar, and if you want to extend it, a Dame Demar Jonas team ever defends well enough to like make a deep run. And obviously, you you drop Kawhi in there, it starts to look different. But I don't know that the fits as good there. And then more importantly, I don't know that the Dame and Demar teams look close enough year over year for Masai to, if Masai still takes over at some point, say we bump that a year or two down the line, or it stays the same. You know, I don't know that he isn't more inclined to do a proper blow up at some point because as much as the Raptors and Blazers have kind of been like east west versions of each other, I know some people like the Blazers comp better than Clippers the Clippers comp for the for the Raptors. Um, you know, I think if you if you swap Dame in there, then they're quite literally going to be the Blazers East. And maybe maybe that takes you a, a little deeper than it did for the Blazers, but I don't think it takes you, you know, championship level. Well, let me put it this way. I don't think there's any chance that Dame DeMar as a backcourt stands any better of a chance of not flaming out spectacularly against LeBron teams. Like, it probably happens even more aggressively just because yeah, of the defensive like, side of things. Yeah. yeah, like, people remember Kyle not shooting well in some playoffs, but he also, like, first of all, he basically won them the Miami series. Uh, he yeah. also has had some really good shooting performances in the playoffs as well. And then the big thing is that people forget is like outside of maybe one or two series, Kyle was always driving team success. And when the Raptors were getting their heads kicked in, it was, Oh, we're treading water with Lowry on the floor and getting our heads kicked in when Lowry's off the floor. It was not, you know, routinely that they were getting beat with Lowry. Lowry was always kind of still the, the floor raiser for them. And I don't, again, I'm extremely fond of Damian Lillard and, you can certainly make a case that you'd take Dame over Lowry at a certain point in time to, to start building with. But with that particular roster and that particular co-star, I think Lowry is a, a more significant floor raiser. So once again, thank you, Ben Uzo. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed. Um, I'm glad you brought up that game seven 
against the Heat because that spins me into my next topic of conversation very easily. Um, I- I'm curious, like, I think this is probably one of the lower stakes ones in terms of like what was actually on the line in the game, the like the final game of the 2012 season where they were 22 and 43. Uh, like that th- low stakes, the the draft lottery stuff, they're so like murky and weird and hard to really project forward. Are there other though sort of I guess higher more like more high profile turning points in franchise history that you look back on and sort of now that we have the sort of title to look at as sort of the end point of everything? Do you have a couple or maybe one that stands out in particular from the last eight or so years, or maybe even before that, that if that goes a different way, the Raptors don't end up in the position they were last season? Yes. Uh, Coincidentally, it also happened on an April 26th. It was game five against the Indiana Pacers in 2016, where Mm. not only did Norman Powell take over and you've got the iconic steal and dunk that rattles around in his hands a little bit, you also have Frank Vogel sitting his three best players for way too long, allowing the Raptors to kind of come (laughs) back and take control of that game. And I think obviously, you know, that would have put them down 3-2 to the Pacers. If you don't win that series, that core is done. That would have been another first round exit. They're done. None of this happens if they lose that series and then if they lose that game they've got to win two in a row and they were not playing you know that was that was i think kind of the peak of the kyle and damar can't play in the playoffs discussion because they were just kind of grinding by uh but yeah that uh that big big run thanks to thanks to frank vogel is uh the raptors were down 13 they were down 15 early in or late in the third quarter and they pulled that yeah i think yeah, that was going to be my answer as well. That and, like, the Game 7 of that series, too, by extension. Like, yeah. that series goes wrong. I think we actually, like, talked before Game 7, like, up in the gondola. I seem to recall a conversation where, like, I hadn't really thought about it because I figured the Raptors were going to win the series in, like, five games, um, which obviously was not the case. But talking before Game 7 when things were so tense and it was all tight sphincter and all that, shout Zach Lowe, like I remember you saying something along the lines of this they're they're totally this is done like Dwayne's gone like they they, they this is going to be over if they lose this game and that kind of hit me then and I was like you're right <laughs> like yeah yeah it would have been it, it would it's, be insane I don't think if it it's wasn't any secret yeah the yeah. the bigger what if from that series though is that I had said before that series if the Raptors didn't win that playoff series I wouldn't shave until they won a playoff series <laughs> so we're talking years because that you probably blow that up and do a do a full-on rebuild talking trey kirby levels of, of beard for me at this point <laughs> well is that what you're working on now in quarantine no i actually i had trimmed my beard right before quarantine right after i got back from that west coast trip so i'm okay this is the longest right. my hair has been since i was like five years old though oh yeah the hair is uh i'm getting close to the danger zone and i'm considering just like letting it go maybe you do a josh donaldson i'm not sure yeah. uh thank, thank but, god for hats and no one seeing me yeah that, that no not having to see anybody is uh is a huge asset here for sure um lastly here blake so i love the point you made near the end of your piece uh which again people go read at the athletic uh about the sort of random nights in team history that you know where there was success had within the context of an unsuccessful season and how now with sort of the title standing as that endpoint to make everything all right, 
with that being there, it kind of opens you up to be able to romanticize a lot of the sort of darker times and the good pops of joy within those dark times a little bit more. Uh, and so obviously you wrote about this Ben Uzo game. Is there another game that comes to mind for you when you think about those types of nights, like back when things were uh, were terrible all the time? I don't know that it's one game necessarily, but like one of the things that drove me nuts for years and now is strictly funny is the Bargnani 13 game stretch where it was like, (laughs) Oh, he's an all-star. He's figured it out. It's clicked. And like for years, it was just like, how are we all so stupid? How do we look at all of this evidence and then get, get fooled by like a hot couple of weeks. Um, But now it's hilarious. Now it's just like, yeah, of course, Bargnani right as everyone gave up was just like, ah, maybe. (laughs) I, I kind of feel that way about Lou Williams a little bit. Like I wish I could go back to 2014-15 and sort of understand that eventually this is going to lead towards a title and that the the results of this season is not the be-all end-all because I was just so out on that Lou Williams experience as fun as it was I just I thought about like the grander implications of it and and, like oh he's not gonna be able to do this in the playoffs he's not gonna get all these free throws in the playoffs it's just not gonna work he can't play defense this is gonna fall apart in the postseason and that sort of clouded my enjoyment of what was just like a kick-ass six-man season from the type of player who I love now like gunners fuck yeah give me a gunner all day long and I just I could not bring myself to enjoy it I kind of wish now I could go back and just sort of bask in Lou Williams going off for 25 a night, just having a good time and completely hijacking the offense and becoming not a uh, a derider of those late game, late late shot clock uh, attempts from Lou Williams, where he just completely hijacked the game with 24 seconds left on every quarter and just like became a fan of those and maybe championed them in a more uh, aggressive way. I, that 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 is sort of one that I think back to. It would have been nice. I really remember, um, so that season, like, starting to enjoy it, and then, like, the 76ers blogosphere and 76ers Twitter, like, kindly reaching out and being like, hey, guys, um, just a heads up, you can enjoy this now, but this is this is coming. Like, I remember, I remember Andrew Unterberger, um, who has written for 700 level, among a bunch of other 76ers places, being like, hey, man, like, he went to the playoffs four times with the 76ers, and... Uh, cracked 40% shooting once, you know, like this is, uh, this is coming. And then of course he posts a 40, uh, what was it? 43 true shooting percentage in the playoffs for the Raptors that year. Oh boy. Yeah. That was, at least he was good in the playoffs last year. Yeah, that's true. Um, good ish. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they lost the series, I guess as good as you can be when you lose the series in six, but, um, yeah, the, that I remember. So one of my last games as a fan before uh, getting the media, I think I went as a couple games as a fan after I got credentialed. But like my last one before getting credentialed was Game Two of that Wizard series. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's 700 plus episodes. Maybe you haven't heard me talk about it. Um, that was just to me the most the game that was most affront to my sensibilities that I can recall because it featured Lou Williams getting his six man of the year award just before the game. And then uh, James Johnson getting the standing O when Dwayne Casey put him in when I was anti James Johnson all season long, I believe I had written that he's not the answer. And then he entered the game and got a three buried in his eye by Paul Pierce of all people. And I, I just, I hated every second of that game that I spent 
all of my money on because I was just out of school with uh, with you know, no full time job or anything like that. But I I pooled my money together to go to that game, and I just I I hated it so much, Blake. I hated it. Yeah, that Wizard series sucked so bad. I remember the first time I ever got to do a TV spot was for um, CTV. They were down 3 nothing, and basically CTV was, like, begging me to explain how the Raptors could possibly come back from this. And I just, like, I couldn't do it, and I was trying to be nice about it, and they just kept being like, but there's a chance, right? And I was like, no, there's not a chance. They're going to lose by 31. They're going to get swept. Wizards Twitter is not going to shut up about this into 2020, even though the Raptors have beat them in a series and won a championship since. It's all the worst things. Also, the game, just because this keeps coming up, the game four of that series when they lost by 31 was also April 26th. What a weird wow. podcast. Well, we're 13 days I feel days like you away. almost need to... I feel like you almost need to just put just bank this for the 26th now. What a weird. Yeah, I, maybe I, the most important date in franchise history. Very. I mean, I'm trying to think. Was there a game in the last year's playoffs? It would have been against the Magic, I guess. So it probably doesn't matter. Um, but I'm sure there was a Cavs game, a game one against the Cavs in there somewhere. I would imagine. Now thinking about it, that's probably the game where uh, LeBron threw down the alley oop in the first minute of the game. <laughs> Almost definitely. They didn't play on the 26th last year uh, or the year prior. Okay, well. well. That's why they won the title last year. So, uh, yeah. Congrats. Oh, they haven't played on the 26th since the Pacers game. Now that that date's retired, apparently. That that works. That works. Uh, Blake, this podcast is about to be retired. Thank you so much for coming on, man. This was great. Uh, What would you like to plug? Uh, yeah, just, I mean, you can check out the Ben Uso piece at theathletic.com. Uh, if you are not a subscriber and you want to check it out, we're doing 90-day free trials right now, so you can uh, do that. You do have to, like, give your credit card information and stuff, but you can cancel before the 90 days are up if you're not finding it worthwhile. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I host a music podcast called Columbia House Party that you could check out. Um, Woodley will probably be on it at some point in the future once we figure out how we're going to do guests and stuff with remote recordings but we'll figure that out uh, another time so yeah theathletic.com and then columbia house party yeah and you guys are doing a great thing uh, you guys have t-shirts all the uh money's going to the kids health phone correct that's correct uh columbia awesome. stay in your house party t-shirt um i bought one so yeah. today very good shirts oh, nice. uh yeah so uh go all do all that blake is obviously you know blake if you're listening to this podcast but still go to the athletic read blake's stuff it kicks ass and uh that's going to do it for today's show. Please subscribe to, rate, review, all the good stuff that you do all the time or hopefully do all the time for all the Locked On shows. It's much appreciated. Uh, we'll be back again later in the week. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do. Kind of uh, tossing around a couple ideas, so keep an eye out, I suppose. Probably only three episodes of this week as I try to uh, ration the content out a little bit after going five last week. But uh, keep an eye out. There will be lots of good stuff for you both this week and into the future because i'm not going anywhere even with no basketball we'll still come up with stuff to talk about like ben uzo and other things so that'll do it thank you so much for tuning in we will talk to you next time with another episode of locked on raptors Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.